The cream rises to the top. If you build it, they will come. Content is king, and so on. We've heard all the cliches, but the problem is they are totally wrong. Even the best idea, product or project will fall flat if it isn't communicated effectively. On the Figures or Speech podcasts, hosts Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom talk to a wide range of amazingly successful executives, business owners, and leaders about how learning to communicate changed their lives and their fortunes. Every episode gives us stories we can emulate and lessons we can follow. Welcome to Figures of Speech. We are your hosts, Tim Wickstrom and Tammy Palazzo. Today, we have the great fortune of speaking with Dr. Jenny Walker. She specializes in developing people and organizations and managing them through complex situations, diverse populations, and working in a global environment. She's done this since 1995 and has worked in adult learning and performance, leading through designing and facilitating programs for leadership through communications, diversity, and really engaging HR management in multiple industries. Today, we're gonna speak to Dr. Walker about communicating with people and colleagues in a global context, and really uncover why every great leader must become a great communicator and more. So Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. We are really excited to learn more about you, your focus and what you've been doing, which is a whole lot of work in the areas of helping leaders and organizations really evolve over time and do that successfully in a very complex environment. You work with global companies, very diverse in their population for lots of reasons, generationally, gender, all of those elements. And you have such a deep background in this. I wonder if you would be okay just telling us a little bit about how you foundationally got into this world and tell us what you love so much about it. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. This is a subject that I love to speak about and work with people on their leadership development and really help them grow as professionals and as as people. So I'm happy to be here. Currently, I'm a professor of organizational development and leadership, a consultant, and an author. But I've been working for some time in different forms of training and development for about 20 years across industries, across countries, So there is a lot of diversity involved, as you mentioned. My career really started in journalism, though. So first in newspapers and then in broadcasting, because I was always interested in communication in its various forms, the impact that it really has on people in helping spark ideas, in motivating them, in in producing emotions in them. And so I was really drawn to communication. I've also always enjoyed teaching. So this combination between communication and teaching led me to a career in in corporate training that, that has lasted for so many years. And corporate training is this terrific intersection between communication and teaching and coaching. And, you know, these teaching modalities are diverse from group sessions to individual mentoring to online courses. So there's a lot of different application of communication in these different modalities, different ways of communicating with people. But it's interesting because I actually didn't see the intersection between communication and teaching in corporate training at first because I'd never heard of it. I didn't even know that corporate training existed. But I happened to be teaching scuba diving. 
And wow. at this point in my life, uh, <laughs> yeah, at this point in my life, I was really into scuba diving and teaching it. Uh-huh. And one of my colleagues was a former radio announcer. And he told me that it's something I'd be good at and that I should check out, you know, what this career is. And it's funny how little asides like that can change the trajectory of really your entire life. So that's how I got into the field. It was just a commentary by a peer to check out a career that involved communicating in the way that I was drawn to communicate. I got to ask you, so I love that, and I do have a parallel that uh, that maybe I'll share, maybe I won't, but I want to delve into that a little <laughs> bit. So what I'm always curious about when I hear a story like that, which is fascinating, you're a scuba instructor, like you're teaching people a tangible skill, it's, it's somewhat muscle memory, repetitive, like you have to have so many aspects around that. This person that said, hey, I think you might consider this. Did they ever share with you what was it they saw in you that, because it was awareness for you, right? You didn't even know. Did they share with you what it was they saw in you and what was it that they called out that was an aha moment for you? Yeah, well, he was aware that I had been working in journalism and had decided to take a break to really decide where I wanted to go and who I wanted to be in life. And you know, during my break periods, I always went back to teaching scuba because it was something I, I love so much. He also, having had this extensive experience in radio broadcasting, I'm sure that, you know, he had seen that I had potential in professional communication through just the way I displayed myself and my skills in teaching classes because scuba classes are often co-taught to some degree. There's some assistant or potentially another instructor there. And so he and I would interact in these ways in teaching. And just in that process, regardless of what we're doing in life, I think there are impressions that we're making that are really powerful to other people. They, they see potential in the context of their own experiences and their own lives. And being a former broadcaster, he saw that and he had familiarity with corporate trainers and saw that I might be a potential fit there. So I think it was this combination of, you know, he knew my interests and he knew what it took to be successful in that field. I think what you just said, it it puts a big smile on my face if you're watching me right now in the sense that (laughs) it's it's what he saw in you. It was truly the impression that you left on them. And I mentioned I had a a very similar story. First of all, I've taken scuba lessons, so kudos to you. That's not terrific. That's I I didn't get certified, but I made enough to go down fifty feet and not get in trouble. I never knew this. Right. (laughs) Like it's rare that Tim shares a story that I haven't heard before. (laughs) That's a new one. And it's 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 (laughs) interesting to me because for me, I'm gonna I'm truly gonna date myself here, graduating high school wanting to get into the real world with a job. And I had a temporary job at Sprint. I'm based in Kansas City, which is the largest employer here at the time. And in any case, right. I'm, I, here I am a sales rep on the phone. Let me be clear, nothing glamorous. I'm a telemarketer that everybody <laughs> hates to hear from. However, there's this sort of thing where, much like you, you, know, you have these meetings and you stand up and somebody asks, you know, who's going to represent your team and share your best practices or what you know? And 
I didn't volunteer myself, not feeling good about that at all, but got volunteered. And you just, you know, you stand up and do it. You can't say no. What's interesting right, is I right. had a trainer come up to me and this was my very first light bulb. I had a trainer come up to me. He's a friend of mine named Belvy. And he said to me, he goes, Hey, I really think you ought to consider training because people paid attention to you, but it was what they saw in you, which is what I see. You just looked happy. You look happy and that made everybody interested. I watched how they did it. So similar to you, I'm always curious, what is it that other people see that causes that impression to say, wow, consider this because I got to imagine moving to communications and training in that world while you were a trainer in, in one avenue, it's a totally different beast jumping ship and going in that direction. There's so many different dynamics involved. So really appreciate that. But how, how hard was that transition for you? When you said, okay, I'm going to do this, how hard was that? Well, I think any time that we are embarking on a new adventure in our lives, especially when it's professional and it seems like there's so much seriousness and consequence about whether we do well or not, how we perform, it's nerve-wracking. You don't know the landscape that you're heading into unless you've had people who've been there before that can guide you, and, and I didn't. There are so many experiences I know personally that I've had in my life that there was no one else in my family that had taken that route. And so you're exploring by feel as you go and assessing what does it mean to work in this profession? What does it mean to be successful? Am I doing a good job? So your feelers are always out, you know, to navigate the profession and and to really assess if you're doing well in it. So it's a growth process. Could not agree more. It's definitely, it's an evolution, right? And I think I even used that word when we started talking about this. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I could go on all day with you. I can tell that already. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like you and I want to talk more. Let's talk more. Hey, I feel the same. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I love that. Thanks. You know what? I'm going to let you two go, and I'm going to sit and listen. I love it. <laughs> Tammy will join in and wrap up. Yeah. This is me and you. Hey, listen, I was a journal. Yeah. I have a journalism background too, so I have something in common with you. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little. Isn't more it hurt funny you how? You go ahead. Isn't it funny how we we find so many people in these different corners of our lives that have similar experiences? It's always always fun. It is really, you know, it's interesting to me because I, as someone who is on the other side of my career now, you know, I'm obviously not young in my career, I'm fascinated with how we all got here. And I had a similar experience to you in that when I found my way into corporate training, I never knew such a thing existed. I mm-hmm. I spent most of my career in publishing, starting out as a journalism major and, and working in radio and television, but ended up working in book and magazine publishing. We didn't have training. It was not something that we ever had access to. So interestingly yeah. enough, the first time that I was even exposed to it was with a client who had training at their organization. And it was 
I just didn't even know that it existed. The only thing that I had ever heard of was sexual harassment training. Like that was the only thing. I yeah. didn't know they had <laughs> such things that they teach you how to be a better leader. I was like, wow, who does that? So it is really <laughs> now when I look back on it, like how did we all end up here? Because we all have such different and diverse backgrounds. I did was not someone who people said, hey, you should really train. I was someone who people said, you should really never get up in front of other people, <laughs> which is true. It's true. I obviously learned that I could do that, but that was, you know, my background and experience was very, very different because I came from the world of, I'm not good at this. I'm not, it's not a natural thing for me, but I'm intrigued and I'm curious about it. So I, I love, I love hearing all the background stories. And I think we, many of us who are in the space actually share more in common than we think going into it. So Tim, That's I know so I cut true. you off, yeah. so go That's for okay. it. I, I, I want to get into the meat of, of where you're at today and just get an understanding of the, the complexity around your world today. You've obviously evolved. There's a ton of background here. Talk to us about how life is for you today in terms of teaching people in a very complex environment, helping organizations grow and manage the globalization aspect, but also the diversity piece. Just talk to us about that experience that you have today and some of the challenges that you are encountering. Sure. Well, I continue to teach a range of curriculum, but nearly all of it focuses on leadership development in some form, how to present oneself, how to inspire others to follow your lead, and also how to manage talent, especially as it relates to diversity. And one of the areas that I've really honed in on in the last 10 years is working with global diversity, working across cultures, because it's a personal interest of mine. I'm fascinated by differences in culture, the way that we communicate, relate to one another, what are our normative behaviors in different cultures. You know, it's interesting because we're one human race, but the diversity among us is vast. Huge. And so despite, yeah, it, it is huge. And despite centuries of cross-cultural experiences and research, we still don't fully understand one another. And so I'm fascinated by this. And I don't see this lack of understanding today and you know, the, in 2018 as a negative. I really see it as this kind of monument to the complexity of being human. And so this makes my work developing leaders quite interesting because this complexity to it is something that no one person can, in my opinion, ever fully be prepared for, nor should they, because once we get complacent in our habits and the way that we're assuming that other people will behave or the way that we're communicating and interacting with them, it changes. Absolutely. So in this work developing leaders, much of what I teach is that it's not simply about doing your homework about what country or culture you'll be working in. It's about developing a kind of sixth sense to really notice what are these critical differences? How do I adjust? my communication and my behaviors to them. And that's why understanding other cultures just from reading or talking about it is vastly different than the experience of it. And just when we think we understand it, it changes. Yes. 
And I often use the generational differences that are such a hot topic in the workplace today as an example of this. We live within the same broad social culture, but bring up the word millennial in any any corporation today, and you get you get some emotion around. You jump to a different planet at this point. We're not even <laughs> right. on the same planet when someone says millennial. It's like not a country. It's an entirely different planet. It is, but they're they're terrific. Millennials are terrific yes. because they have this ability to be lightning rods. They they often wake managers up to real human behavior. These managers value. that have been yes, it's shock value, but also it's real. I think in many cases, they've been you know taught their entire lives that their opinions matter that they should say how they feel. And so they do that. And then managers become offended or incensed that they don't have the same submissive behaviors that other people have been taught for years to have in organizations. And so when we talk about communication within our own culture and look at the new generation, I think it is wonderful and fascinating to see what lightning rods they are. Well, that's where the opportunity comes from, right? I mean, that's truly an opportunity. And maybe that's part of the conversation to be had is we constantly refer or hear referred to as a gap. So we will, when we're going Mm -hmm. out talking with folks, one of the things that we share is that we know by 2020, roughly 75% of the population, working population will be millennials. You know, just some stats like that to quantify it. And we always talk about how that's a gap. And I love how you're talking about this as the opportunity. And I really want to talk a little more about that because that's a bit of a crux in where we're at. There is such a huge opportunity, but there's an expectation they show up in a way that's familiar or comfortable with the person that came before them. And that's just not Mm -hmm. what's subscribed to. And I think that's been true for every generation. And it seems like the millennial generation has taken that tenfold. There's, there's been a huge leap in not just changing a little bit, they've changed a lot of the structure. And I think it's shaken everyone up and they see a challenge. I see it as an opportunity. What we have to figure out Me is how too. to harness that opportunity and find the common ground in what we're all looking at. Tammy, what, I know you were thinking about this earlier too. We were talking about millennials. Yeah, I want to, this may be a little bit of a, of a left turn here, but I'm, this is something that's been intriguing me lately. You know, we keep talking about millennials as the new generation, and they're really not so much the new generation anymore. Right. <laughs> because we know that many managers now are millennials because millennials are older. Millennials are approaching their 40s. And no, as, don't say that. Well, you know what know. that does to me. I know. And as Tim just shared, (laughs) within the next couple of years, they're going to represent far more than half the workforce. So my question for you is, because we're in the same boat here, we've spent a lot of energy over the last five to 10 years talking about this generation gap, talking about the changing workplace and the, the different generations in the workforce. And we've certainly done our share of training and coaching around how to communicate more effectively across generations. But let's say now that our workplace is going to be predominantly Gen Xers, millennials, 
and Gen Z. What do you see the difference being because millennials have just come in with a completely different mindset and perspective and because of their sheer volume, they've been a little bit of an immovable object in a, in a good way. As you guys have both said, they've, they've kind of forced us to change. But I wonder how you see that playing out when you have Gen Z coming into the workforce and are they going to be as disruptive, do you think, that millennials were? Do you think that we're getting into a little bit more of a holding pattern because of the sheer volume of the millennial workforce? What are your thoughts around that? Well, my thought around the different generations that are, quote unquote, the newer generations coming into the workplace is that I see less of that shock value for Gen Y, Gen Z, because I think the millennials did that for us. They were really this first generation that had a number of important things happening during their formative development that really shaped them in, in a very different way. The advent of technologies and these sweeping changes in the way that we communicate, how we spend our time, how we relate to one another. And most importantly, I think what we value in life is what I see as being a, a distinction in the new generation. So, you know, Don Tapscott has this great work. He's written a few different books and a few different studies, and he's not the only one who's done it, but his work is out there and it's compelling and it really looks at how these younger generations view what it means to be human and, and how they value their time, where they place their emphasis in time. And so I, I think that it shaped the direction that we're heading in some really interesting ways and, and some ways that are scary for the generations before. So when I mentioned millennials, even though we've got some other generations coming in behind them that are, are currently present in the workforce, I think the millennials are the ones that turned the corner for us. And yeah. so I think that's, it's a really pivotal generation to study. And, you know, I'm not advocating here <laughs> that, you know, we do away with emotionally intelligent behaviors. I think that there's opportunity to coach and develop all generations that are in the workplace about respectful communication, collaboration with others in, in work environments, working across cultures, uh, very important for them to understand, especially as they have more access to travel. You know, so many of our, our younger generations, they're called the young cosmopolitans. You know, yeah. instead of going to Orlando for spring break, they're going to Beijing. Right. So they need to understand the nuances of communicating and working across cultures, just like everyone that came before them and what the consequences are for that. So, you know, I'm certainly not advocating all truth all the time. <laughs> we need to know what the culturally, culturally acceptable boundaries right. are. But I, I think that we should consider what it means to communicate authentically and what it means to live authentically and operate authentically as leaders, because millennials are showing more of who they are in the workplace, in my opinion. They are. 
they're coming to the table with more authenticity. And I think that that is a lesson that a lot of really repressed people and managers who, who have basically left unhappy lives and left unhappy employees. I mean, this is at the extreme, but they have something to learn from that. Absolutely. You know, I, I think we all can probably relate to this. At least I know generationally all of my peers are sort of on the same page. When we graduated college and we were entering the workforce, the message that was piped into my head, whether it was from parents, professors, or whoever, you show up, you leave your baggage at the door, you're here to do a job, and primarily, by the way, try to stick with that job for the rest of your life because somehow that's a symbol of accomplishment and get your benefits, Mm -hmm. like all of these things. But it was very, the message was control yourself and control how you show up. And millennials aren't that way, like you said. I just think they're more authentic because they don't come into it. We're not telling them to couch themselves in a very specific way. They've kind of gotten free reign. And, you know, on one side, they get a sticker for doing everything. And on the other side, side, there's conformity that already exists in the workplace. And you're going in a direction I really would love to dig into a little bit here, which is when you take all of this context and put it into play around how do you move the needle at getting all of these folks, if you will, in different buckets to work better. You've got, I'll say, we've got person A who was on our team who decided to go to Brazil and do work for us. Uh-huh. And I'm looking for this person to be in my backyard or at least in one time zone difference let alone halfway around the world. And it's a no-brainer for them, but the communication challenge existed. It was real. And so in your work, when you look at this and in your, in your instructional design and everything you do, how do you look at tackling that particular piece? We've got all these dynamics, generational, mm-hmm. geographic, cultural, and then what's the methodology to approach communicating better or more effectively with each other? How do they get that learning and then how do they practice it? Well, that's a huge question. It is. <laughs> so huge. I'm sorry. You know, that's, that's multiple, multiple interviews to answer that one, but, but I'll take a Maybe stab we're at it. Maybe so. This could be a series. <laughs> right. It could, and, and it, it would be a great one. You know, when I work with leaders, and I I often do work with them specifically around these issues of complexity, Mm -hmm. working in geographically dispersed teams, working across cultures, you know, time zones, it seems like a, a small issue, but you're absolutely right. I two weeks ago had a call with somebody who was in Saudi Arabia and that's a 12 hour time difference from where I'm at. So there's no good time to talk. And so sometimes it's about taking turns. You're talking at 5 right. a.m. before you've had coffee or 5 p.m. <laughs> when you need more coffee because you're out of energy. Right, right. So, I mean, these are real issues to your point, yeah. but When it boils down to it, when there's complexity in working across cultures in a global environment, it boils down to what's important. What are the values that we're seeking to convey and portray in our behaviors? And I mention that because it's a very different process for me to coach somebody as an individual 
than it is to work with a team within an organization. Because with an individual, it's about how do I align my behaviors with what's expected of me in the organization of how the organization values certain behaviors and actions and how do I retain my authenticity at the same time? How can I show up and be me and find fulfillment in my work, but also present myself in ways that I can be heard and inspire others to work with me? When I'm working with an in-tech team, it's largely more focused on this collaborative aspect. How do you do this in symphony, if you will, mm -hmm. What are the values of your team? What are the values of your organization? Because our communication behaviors are going to boil down to that. If the team that I work for is avant-garde, we're the new Google out there in the environment, maybe all honesty all the time is the strategy <laughs> for communication. That, that is what people want to see. It's what they expect. Anything else, and they're not going to trust you, right? They'll see you as passive-aggressive. Right. But there could be other values around respect and inclusion and diversity, which are, you know, very important to me personally. But as I do this work, I, I have to be mindful that, that I have my own biases and values. And so I really look for what are the values that we're working towards? And then how do we shape our communication to really convey those? completely hear that. And I know this was such a huge question with a large umbrella of topics to go over. Right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to focus us just a little bit down just on very basic communication, because I think that there, you, know, you can have a top-down approach or a bottom-up approach, right? And not one way is mm -hmm. always right for everyone. And I think that there, at least my belief is, there is a fundamental human interaction that we all, regardless of whether we have an unconscious bias or a self-awareness of what we believe to be true or right, we are all doing some level of assessment on each other. And this becomes even more critical in a virtual environment because you have less to be influenced by. If you and I are speaking in person, you're, you know, I meet you, we both know, we both know that we are going to size each other up the second we see each other. It's human nature. It's how we're wired. It's your body language make me feel more comfortable around you? Is your eye contact in a, is something similar to what I'm comfortable with? And when it's one-on-one, -on -one, we look for commonalities. The level of commonality really influences our comfort level with each other. But when you now look at this in terms of, hey, I've got a message to get across and I am really intentionally, albeit authentically, but intentionally trying to create an impression that to me is something that is very elemental for everybody to be able to level the playing field. And that can be difficult. Do you sort of look at that foundational element in your basis of how you work with individuals and or organizations, that fundamental element of this is how we assess each other when we show up and it's how it either helps us get the door open or the door slams shut. Absolutely. And I would agree with you. There's not a certain recipe, if you will, because there are so many differences when I'm working with people in different cultural environments about what these quote unquote fundamental skills and behaviors are. I, they can be 
vastly different. You know, there's this really widely quoted study about communication that says that 90% of it is nonverbal. And the study itself is often debated, yes. both in terms of the research methods and the percentages. Is this about, Moravian? Uh, you know, <laughs> Are you referring it to is. I know we're very familiar. It's often debated. I there's am. There. <laughs> yeah. But however, you know, I do find that nonverbal communication is really far more impactful, especially across cultures, yeah. than what's said. So to your point, it, this ability to assess the situation, assess the person, figure out how to connect with them is complex. Tone in some languages, it can change the meaning of a word, sure. Min Chinese, for example. Gestures, they can offend. The OK hand sign, if you use that in Turkey versus the U.S., is going to have a very different <laughs> effect. Even, Not the even effect you're looking for. They are right? right. Not the effect you're looking for. You know, eye contact is one of my favorites because it can be seen as aggressive in some cultures, a sign of weakness in others if you don't make it. It could be a sign of professionalism, you know, in yes. U.S. culture, for example, but very different effects. And so one has to understand what are the cultural norms in communication in the environment that they're going into or that they're working in. I love so this so really much. Yeah, the, this is this is such an interesting topic because, as Tim alluded before, we really rely heavily on that Moravian study, as many communication mm -hmm. skills trainers do, because it's a foundation that is admittedly, while it can be disputed, it still stands strong to this day. And it's a great foundation to teach nonverbal communication. And yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a professor, so I would say more people need to get out there and replicate that. the study. Oh, I mean, it, the, yeah. the, pop, the population that was used in that study and the context for it don't align with the broad usage that right. it has today. And so understandably, you know, people that work in the research arena are saying, whoa, hold up, we can't assume that this is true in all cases, but anecdotally, right. all yeah. of us here know that nonverbals are hugely impactful. Right, uh, and very few people challenge that data. You know, we use it certainly with our software because it, it helped us to build an algorithm, right, to think about the nonverbal components versus the actual content. But even when you use it in a workshop or in a talk, people don't immediately challenge that because they're like, yeah, that makes sense. I certainly do feel like I spend more time focused on the visual components or what I hear than the actual or before I can get to the actual content of it. But what I love about what you're talking about and is really an important thing for us is this idea of what goes into those components. So mm -hmm. what we what I think becomes subjective based on where you live in the world is how we perceive those different elements. So for instance, you brought up eye contact. We believe and we coach to this that eye contact demonstrates engagement to your audience. But to your point, that may fly here but we can get on mm -hmm. a plane, cross an ocean, 
and that may convey a very different message. Doesn't mean that the eye contact isn't still delivering some type of nonverbal message. It's just the message may be completely different. And that's what I think is fascinating about all this because the nonverbals, I wish somebody would do, and we certainly are looking at doing some research ourselves, but I hope that there's some new academic research that looks at this. I suspect that we'll still see that those nonverbals play an enormous role. What would be really interesting is to then break it down and say, okay, if the way we look at it, for instance, we look at four key components, gesture, posture, eye contact and voice. And, you know, within that, there's lots of different pieces. But if you took just those four components and said, how do gestures play here versus other parts of the world? How does eye contact play? How do different vocal elements play? I shared at the beginning of this that I, an example of me coaching female Asian lawyers, voice, Mm -hmm body language, eye contact, when I coach them and if they're here from China, they will ask me questions like, wait a minute, this doesn't work in China. This is a very, I think that I will be perceived very differently. And then the conversation becomes, well, what are you striving for? Are you striving to communicate more effectively here in the United States or are you striving to communicate more effectively in your in your native country? Because that adds another layer of complexity to it. Are you trying to be cross-culturally impactful, which means you've got to navigate different styles and different understand the different perceptions that go along with it? I just I think it's such an interesting topic because to be global citizens, and, and you guys were talking about this before, I think the Certainly millennials and the generations that follow are more global citizens. More of them are spending time abroad before they go into the workplace. There's a lot more fluidity about travel. To your point, it's not Orlando that they're going on spring break. They're easily picking up and traveling to other parts of the world. They have access Mm -hmm. to the world differently. How might that impact What we see is an enormous communication gap, right? We know, everybody talks about this, that the next generation and the generations that follow are coming into the workplace with an enormous communication skills gap. But are they? Because do they have a savvy and a sophistication about communication that we in the traditional communication space don't necessarily understand or appreciate? Yeah, you've got a, some great points here. And, and, and I would add, too, that right now we're talking about these young cosmopolitans that I mentioned. At least that's a you know, word that's out there to, yep. to describe these I like the people getting global experience <laughs> at younger ages. Yeah, it's, good, it's a good word, a good set of words. But to that point, you know, even when we look across the U.S., that percentage is still relatively small and relatively affluent and relatively privileged in many other ways. And so I think there is a caution that I would add, and that is that when I go in to work with organizations or individuals, or even just to do a presentation, I really try to assess, you know, what formative experience have these people potentially had in life? Where are they coming from? Because if it's a more sophisticated, worldly organization, they've probably drawn in like people. But in many places, many pockets of the world, in the U.S. even, you know, 
people are still not interacting with people in other cultures in meaningful ways. They may be on a game platform that, you know, there's people all over the world playing a video game with them. Mm. And a Roblox is, you know, this hugely popular thing among my kids. Fortnite. And they have people from all over. Fortnite, yeah. yeah I don't even yeah, know what but, it is, but I hear about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got two sons. Yeah, it's big. Right. But at the same time, I think we, we have to caution our children and the newer generations in, in the workplace just because you have had interaction with diversity, people from different places, doesn't necessarily mean that you fully understand how to communicate with them and engage and collaborate and so there's still this level of assessment and development and coaching that is incredibly valuable. In, in fact, maybe even more imperative than it has been in, other, in previous years because of the damage that can be done by assuming that they know how to interact across cultures. Yeah, you know, you touched on something that I think is really important to sort of bring out here. We were just talking about Fortnite and games and all of that. And you know what? I think it is the one thing the generation from a worldly perspective easily engages in. Because to your point, like we, Tammy's kids, developers, people we know, like they go home and log in on a game and and what's interesting to me is that they're working and operating and interacting and communicating with people all over the world from multitude mm-hmm. from multiple countries just it, that's not the important piece but what's interesting to me about the gaming element is they all still have to figure out a common language in order to be able to collaborate and work together because they're on teams. They're not always just solo events. They log in, they're in a team and you expect one to do one thing and this to do the other. And it's kind of funny because I find it very similar to what we're trying to do and what we are doing in terms of communication skills. We are trying to create an environment where they find success in being able to execute a particular behavior or action repetitively in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and especially with this generation, we are finding that that receptivity to gamification, to practicing and engaging them in micro-learning. So we engage micro-learning videos that are 60 to 90 seconds long, just giving them quick hits. It's like being in a video game and asking, hitting the tip button or the help button, what do I do here? And this is what you can do to have a different outcome. And, and, or having somebody tell you, Hey, go shoot the guy over there, (laughs) you know, that sort (laughs) of body language. And it's funny, you'll see even how they'll lead each other in games. It's very similar to what we're trying to do to tackle that that problem it's the idea of and you said it and it it's my happy place this is not about creating a world full of drones it it really is about that authenticity we firmly believe and i'll just say we because i know this to be true we wonder all the time how much untapped knowledge and ideas and information are in people's heads that because of how they communicate or the environment they're communicating in, they don't know how to adjust the tools they already have. And we all have these yeah. tools. They just don't have a way to practice and get that feedback and understand that I can flex that muscle or tool many different ways. To Tammy's point here, I can flex that muscle with eye contact to have eye contact, not so much that 
it does anything more than to neutralize what that person knows to be true, because that's not natural to them in their in their home country or, or native country is that that's not a good mm-hmm. thing. But here I know that's okay. And my goal is to not stand out in that way. So it's more to normalize, but it's also the, at the end of the day, I need you to hear what I'm saying, not how I'm saying it. But yet, if we focus on how they say it, yeah, it impacts what we hear. Yeah, it is the means to have your message reach somebody, to really not just have it be heard, but to have people understand it, to engage with it, to be inspired or moved by it. So I, I hear you. That's really important. And you know, we see some outcomes in younger generations, although it, it crosses generational divides about, you know, what happens when we're not able to express or we feel we're not able to express what's meaningful for us. It, it can have some really drastic and sad consequences in, you know, people just feeling helpless or deciding not to go forward with these great ideas that they have. And so any tool that that we provide to people. And, and for me, you know, that's, that's in this leadership development space, this coaching space sure. is helpful. I think it's not just to achieve their goals to work better, but you know, at the heart of the heart of it, it it's really about living a life that's fulfilling to them yeah. and achieving their goals and dreams. And I find that compelling. I couldn't agree more. Isn't that why we do what we do every day? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know we are, uh, that was just the quickest time to fly by. I know we're <laughs> at the end of it. I hate to say that I have to wrap it up and we have to wrap it up. And I really hope that this is the first time and not the last time we have a chance to connect with you. There's, I think, so much more that we could dig into. And I will speak for myself. I've thoroughly enjoyed having the opportunity to interact with you. And I really just can't wait to do more of that and follow you more and get more in the loop. I just am fascinated with you and what you do. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it too. And, and, you know, I, I think there's so many great ways that we could continue to stay in contact and work together. So I agree. Not our last interview, our, our first interview. <laughs> our first. Yes. Oh my gosh. We're dating. I love that. <laughs> That's right. Jenny, thank you so much for your time today. This was truly fascinating. It was one of those really great, inspiring conversations. And as Tim said, we could have gone in 20 million different directions, but I love the conversation we had. And I'm sure that our listeners will love it too. It really interesting, provocative, and, and definitely the beginning, not the end. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you. And we will talk again. All right. Same to you. Please take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, we've reached the end of another episode of Figures of Speech. We're so grateful to our listeners for tuning in. Figures of Speech is brought to you by Presenter, an app that helps anyone practice and get real-time feedback on their communication skills to help them speak more confidently and passionately. In addition to this podcast, You can also find our content that's filled with tips, insights, and inspiration on ways you can share your ideas with passion and impact. We recognize that communication is happening all the time. It's not just in the workplace, it's at the dinner table, it's with your friends. Anytime you're speaking in public, you're public speaking. For the latest, visit presenter.me or follow us on Facebook and Twitter 
and download our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.